Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas for one of the last times, and uh, the audio may not be very good today, honestly. I'm doing the show today from my laptop, and I'm doing it in my kitchen, so there's probably some uh, echo off the walls and all, so I'll do the best I can for you, try to get close to the mic and keep the volume myself down uh, to minimize that and the background noise. And the laptop I have is not known for the best audio quality either, but it was either that or no show today. Right now, we're in the middle of having the house painted, and all day long, the painters are in here with some kind of spraying tool that makes one of the most god-awful, horrible sounds I've ever heard in my life. It's like an ah, kind of reminds me of a Vulcan from a, uh, a helicopter, one of the Vulcan cannons or something. And uh, so I'm about very, very early, about 6 in the morning, to knock out a show for you today before the painters return and uh, the air conditioner guy returns. Because, of course, the air conditioner, now that we're going to put the house up for sale, a $1,000 part in the air conditioner fried itself uh, yesterday as well. So uh, we're having the typical moving nightmare that everybody does when you finally get down to it. Uh, sometimes I think if we ever had to bug out, you know, the typical bug out, we would have been better off if we just took what we needed left and left everything to uh, to burn in an apocalypse or something like that. This this real moving is kind of a pain in the ass, but uh, it's almost over, and next week, it'll probably be Tuesday that you'll hear me say for the first time, uh, welcome to the Survival Podcast coming to you from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Then again, there may not be a show Tuesday, it may be Wednesday. I'm going up on uh, Monday uh, to meet a guy that's going to be doing a deck, help, help, actually help me build a deck around the house, and uh, got a lot of stuff going on Tuesday, so it may be Wednesday before I record a show, but we're going to really get back to the regular stuff, lots of interviews and things like that coming as well, so so uh, hold on tight. Live with us through the growing pains. It's going to get better. Uh, what's today's topic going to be? I don't really know. This is uh, one of those things like where I'm going to make sure damn well there's a show for you guys, but I don't really know exactly what it's going to be about. Yesterday I put out a thing on, on Facebook. I said, what do you guys want to hear about? This is going to be kind of like uh, the rapid fire version of TSP. I'm just going to go through everybody's suggestions. Uh, there's like 57 comments. I don't know that I'll do all of them, but most of them. Uh, and just do quick comments on them. Uh, some of them may be things like an depth show on something where I'll have to go, well, we'll get to that, but here's a few thoughts on it. Um, but it'll be different. We've never done it before, but uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. Before we do that, though, we do have to take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you, making sure the show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Uh, and sponsor of the day number one today is silverandgoldshop.com. I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's been going on in the silver market, but it's currently over $40 an ounce. When I started doing this show and saying, I recommend that you make silver uh, part of your investment portfolio, that you have at least 5 to 10% of your uh, wealth in, in precious metals, you know what silver was at? Well, it was in the neighborhood of 12 to $14. 
so imagine buying a stock at 12 to 14 dollars and now having it be worth 40. Uh, imagine having that stock actually be a physical product that you could take with you wherever you go and cash in anywhere in the world for any currency anywhere in the world. Uh, does that sound like a good investment? Well, that's what happened to people that invested in silver uh, in recent ter- recent term. Can, can I always say that silver is always, always going to go up? No, because I'm not a fool. But I do know one thing. Long-term, historically, the value of our money continues to go down. And we all know why that is. I won't get into that too deeply today unless there's some comments on Facebook about it when we get into the main topic of today's show. But it just makes sense to have silver and gold as part of your investment portfolio. And I'm very, very big on silver. And I think silver is easy because even at $40 an ounce, we can buy that coin for that kiddo around Christmas and give it to them as a gift now and start teaching them about real money. And we can put a coin or two every month into our safety deposit box or into our firebox or strongbox in the home, something like that, and continuously build just a a little bit more of wealth and a little bit safer of a corner of the investment market. And I'll tell you what, there's no better place to get your silver and your gold than from Mary Beth Maidmont over at silverandgoldshop.com because she really, I mean, really takes care of her customers. That's why we're glad to have her as a sponsor here. Next up today is Harvest Eating with Chef Keith Snow. Chef Keith has an awesome website, harvesteating.com. He has a great membership program where you can learn how to cook all his wonderful dishes. And what's cool about Keith is he specializes in locally grown organic seasonal foods, the kind of stuff we talk about growing for ourselves each and every day right here at the Survival Podcast. Some of the stuff like, you know, hey, you can grow this or that. You can grow chard and arugula and, and orach and all this this crazy stuff that you never see in the supermarket. And then you, you grow it and it looks beautiful, but you think, what do I do with it? Well, Chef Keith can help you figure out what to do with that stuff and make it. He's just an awesome guy as well. So check out HarvestEating.com. Definitely consider picking up a copy of his book. It is absolutely a masterpiece of a cooking book and will give you tremendous ideas for what you can do. I'm also going to have Keith back on soon. Uh, once we get through this moving headache, and uh, we're going to have him on to do a show about, again, cooking from your preps. He's got some pretty creative ways to do that. So we'll have Chef Keith on in the future. Till then, check out HarvestEating.com. Uh, next up, remember, we do have a gear shop, shirts, hats, uh, all kinds of cool new tools that we have out. We have some lanyards that are just awesome, geocaching coins, uh, uh, little bitty, uh, little dog tag size uh, bottle openers for your keychains. Uh, really awesome uh, TSP branded Victordox flash. Lights. Get over to the gear shop. Check them out today. I bet there's something there you can use. And remember, last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You're supporting the show at 20 cents an episode. And uh, with what just happened to the air conditioner, if you've been on the fence about the MSB, we could use your support right now. I usually don't make it that direct, but uh, in the middle of this menagerie, if you've been thinking about it, uh, this would be a good time for you, and this would be a good time for me. The thing about the Members Brigade, is if you're buying things like for gardening and prepping and all that other stuff and you use the discounts that we have set up for you uh, with about 25 vendors now, you're going to get your 50 bucks back. There's no way you're not going to get your 50 bucks back. Uh, for instance, uh, Safe Castle Royal has a discount buyer's club. Uh, that gives you discounts on everything in their store. Really great ones. It costs 29 bucks. You get it for free if you join the MSB. So there's 29 of your first year's dues back uh, right out of the gate. So check out the MSB and consider supporting the show. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. And I just put out a simple little thing on Facebook yesterday. And this is one of the reasons that some of you guys uh, should consider maybe hooking up with us on our Facebook fan page, which is facebook.com forward slash survival podcast. Because occasionally I do things like this on Facebook because it's a great way to interact with the audience in a very controlled environment. So um, let's go ahead and just start... Uh, 
knocking this stuff out and see what we come up with. Because I, I read, you know, I read like the first ten of these last night, and I thought this will work. And there's 57 now, so this is like uh, this is like Jeopardy for Jack Spirico, right? You guys throw stuff at me, and I have to give you something back. Charles says, "What about some things you are doing to help sell the house? It's not super survivally, uh, but it might be cool." Well. Actually, I think it is a big survival topic, and I'll tell you why. Because how many people who had that one big disaster that we always talk about that nobody ever wants to talk about as a disaster, which is, hey, guess what? Dad and Mom both lost their jobs. How many people did that happen to uh, in the past couple of years? We're talking to tunes of uh, tens of millions of people lost jobs or had salaries cut and got into a position where they can no longer afford their home. And knowing what to do to make a home sell well is actually pretty important. The big things we're doing, new carpet everywhere there's carpet, new paint everywhere there's paint, painting the ceilings. Those things are easy. If you have the time and you're skilled at it, you can do it yourself. Or if you get enough competitive bids, you'll generally find somebody will do the job in this market that's that's so low you can't afford to do it for yourself. That's uh, that's one of the things we've done. We're painting the outbuildings. We really cleaned up the yard. Uh, we also decided that after living in this place for almost eight years that we had so much crap we didn't need, we rented one of those great big dumpsters so that we could just get rid of stuff quicker. Um, and I guess that's, you know, we bought a pressure washer. I pressure washed the entire house. I had a siding guy come out and uh, take care of some things as far as a few places where the siding was loose. I pressure washed the deck. I stained the deck. And then here's like some of the big stuff we're doing. I don't need a lawnmower, so I'm leaving behind a really awesome snapper self-propelled lawnmower. And, uh, you know, I got the garden beds all, all geared up and looking good. Most Very little growing. They're mostly just really mulched down so there's no weeds. So they're looking good and uh, we're leaving behind the gas grill and uh, we're also having uh, a pool guy that we found uh, in the area is very very reasonable uh, and we're paying him for two months after the house sells so when we list the house it won't just be a three bedroom two bath with home office with large lot and giant pool only one like it in you know for in the range of the 130s in Arlington Texas it'll also have free two two months of free pool service a free gas grill a free basketball hoop for the uh, you know for the pool which is a really nice addition as well, uh, along with um, free lawnmower. And we also put uh, before we were, you know, when we knew we were going to sell, we put nice, um, not super high end because the house isn't a high end house, but not super low end either. Kind of a mid grade matching stainless steel appliances and new countertops in. Those types of things make a house stand out from those around it. When we leave. We'll, we are going to stage the house. We're going to be out of it. It's going to be completely empty. We're going to have professionals come in to clean the tile and uh, hire somebody to come in and do one final like housekeeping cleanup on the place so it just looks brand new. And even though it's a 20-plus-year-old 20 20 house, everything will look brand new. Uh, and we put those little extras in, which you look at that and go, you're giving them a grill, you're giving them a, uh, a lawnmower, uh, and in some a few other things, well, yeah, and you know you could say the value of all that's roughly a thousand bucks or something like that. But it's money we spent a long time ago. Most of the stuff we either want to upgrade once we move. We already have something like that up there, what have you. But even if we just went out and bought it and put it there, sets it apart. And what's a thousand bucks when it comes down to selling a house? It's nothing. 
So there's some thoughts there. Uh, Aaron says, prepping RVs and travel trailers, exploring building your own to save money. Definitely something I should do an entire show on. I, I, Terry Cooper, uh, the RV doctor, has, has been in touch with me a few times. I haven't gotten back to him in this mess. I need to. I'd love to have him back on to talk about that. He's not really going to be big on probably building your own. I think that's a great show that I can do, Aaron, but it's probably not something I can do today. I will say that, like, for real true covert bug out stuff, The best things I've seen as far as a, uh, a bug out RV custom made travel trailer are the ones that are like you find an old utility trailer and it doesn't really look like anything but a utility trailer when you're done with it. There is a lot more that goes into it though than I think a lot of people realize. You do have a lot of wiring and things like that and you're going to want a generator because if you're going to use it for a bug out vehicle, you're probably not going to be in a situation where you can pull up to a nice 50 amp plug in even though you want to set that up because you want to use it for camping while you can. Um, and you know, our, what I've learned by being an RV owner is they're really awesome and they're not as awesome as you think they are before you own one. Just a, some words of wisdom there. Uh, Kenzel says non-gardening ways to get started prepping. Well, Kenzel, uh, maybe you've listened to a few gardening shows, but we talk about tons of ways, uh, to get started prepping over and over and over again that have nothing to do with gardening. Uh, but I mean, the biggest thing you need to do is sit down and go to yourself. What are my five primary survival needs? Food, water, energy, security, and shelter. And then you need to build up redundancies around them. And the, the one that you know you're going to use every single day, or actually the two, are water and food. So you start there. And you start with eat what you store and store what you eat. It is that simple. And I, I think sometimes people that are just getting started try to make this stuff complicated. It's not. Go to the store. You're going to buy two cans of something. Buy three. Next week, you've used one. You're going to go back to buy one to replace it. Buy two. And you just keep doing that till you build depth into your pantry. Most people in America today have absolutely no depth in their pantry. Their pantry is disorganized clutter with crap everywhere instead of rows of the things that they eat every day uh, slowly built out over time, which is the way that our grandparents did things. On the water side of things, I can't recommend a Berkey uh, water filtration system high enough, but... You know, there are some good systems out there. And when it comes down to emergency water filtration, most of the systems that are for sale out there will work. So get something for your water filtration. I like Berkey because I want something to use every day, and I think it's a great everyday filter. I think it's a very economical solution. I think it looks great. I think the service from, from Berkey is great. I think the quality is great. I think the reputation is great. So that's why I recommend Berkey, not just because they're a sponsor. I've had other water people as sponsors. And, um, you know, they didn't do anything wrong, you know. It's, it's just that, you know, of everything I've tried and everything used, it's what I like best. So focusing first on food and water is the way to go. Um, some on security, I think having some means of self-defense and not both lethal and non-lethal, definitely getting some training in them. Securing your finances, I mean, these are the basic things we talk about all the time. So when I hear somebody say non-gardening, I'm wondering how many episodes you've listened to. Uh, but there's some great, you know, if you put in uh, started, or starting either one of those into uh, the search box of the Survival Podcast and kind of br browse through some of the episode titles. You'll find some getting started episodes. Stephanie says, your plans for the homestead permaculture-wise, what are your priorities? How do you keep from getting overwhelmed? We moved into a new construction recently, and I'm surrounded by two acres of mud starting from scratch. On some uh, uh, things, actually, Stephanie, I'm probably a little bit envious of you. You've got two acres of mud, which means it's probably pretty flat, 
which means if you go in there and do some things to uh, start sucking up some of that mud, like plant some trees, because remember a tree is a giant hydraulic pump, um, you'll start to t turn mud into soil real, real quick, and you can start landscaping from there. Um, my particular plans are a little more complicated because I've got five acres, I've got about two that are really usable for the types of things that I want to do, and about three that will remain mostly as forest, maybe with some clearings here and there with uh, some things planted down there. But for the real, uh, real like zone, zone one through zone three, even kind of zone forest stuff, we're talking about two acres to work with. And uh, it's uh, quite steep. There's a lot of gravel and sand, and it's uh, it's a rough, harsh environment. But it's... It's the kind of environment that permaculture was really made for. It's the kind of environment where most people look at the land and say, well, you could have a little mountain house there or something, but it's not really farmable, arable land. That's not what we're, we're getting into here. So um, it's going to be a challenge. So like the first thing that I'm going to do is I've met this gentleman who is uh, an excavator and uh, lives in the area, and he's a show listener. And I'm having him come out with his machinery, and we're going to push some terraces in. Uh, I'm getting kind of what we call the hardscaping around the home done right away because my wife is a genius and decided it was a good idea for us not to wait for things like decking. So we've got this guy coming out to help you know get some decks in on the front and back of the house, and that's going to give us hardscape to work with. Uh, from there, we're going to go ahead. We're putting up a, a, a pergoda over the, the deck, and we're going to plant some uh, perennials up onto that pergoda, some pretty things for my wife and some edible things for both of us. Uh, I'm going to work really hard to try to get the, uh, the area kind of flattened out as well where we're going to put eventually the uh, the greenhouse and the aquaponics system and a place for parking my uh, my RV and eventually a boat kind of put in. And the reason that doesn't sound like permaculture is it sort of isn't, but it is. Landscaping in general, whether permaculture or otherwise, you do your hardscaping, landscaping things first, and then we can go back through and plant. So we definitely want to get that terracing done. And what we're going to do is put those terraces in instead of dead level like a swale with about just about a one degree backslope. So that as water builds up on them, it flows back and kind of creates like these big, long, flat swale uh, systems. So that's going to put this stair-step system of, uh, of you know bringing in uh, rehydration of the land because right now the problem with that stuff isn't so much that the rocky silica soil doesn't hold water, it's that the water runs right off it. So it doesn't even get a chance to hold water. And then we want to start focusing on building um, soil. So I've got a ton of cover crop stuff to plant, buckwheat, cowpea, things like that for the uh, the first summer. And then going into the winter, I've already got the the, uh, the crops to plant for that, you know, bell beans, fava beans, uh, Austrian winter peas and things like that. So the, this year... The big focus is land shaping and soil building, chop and drop. So as these cover crops come up, chopping them and putting straight back to the ground, uh, planting some trees and bushes and some guilds, but really taking the first year to get the land shaped, hydrated, and start building soil. You can only bring in so much soil. On top of this, what we'll do is right in the kind of like the zone one area, right out the front door, we're going to go in there and put in some conventional little raised beds and things like that, a couple little ponds, and do a lot with containers our first year. So that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the level I can go into today. That's going to be something that you're going to see highly documented though. Uh, David says a primer on when to use and when to reuse antibiotics as well as general info on why some diseases are becoming antibiotic resistant. David, I'm going to defer that one over to my wife with uh, her new blog, hugnurse.com, which she's overwhelmed with the move, not blogging right now, but I'm going to tell her that would be a great topic to do. And again, guys, you can check out all of Dorothy's posts so far at hugnurse.com. 
Chuck.com. Chuck says, at what point has the U.S. dollar officially crashed? Uh, while we are already in a full state of steady decline, at what point can we recognize that we are no longer waist deep, but we are now chest deep? Will it be a numeric, uh, numerically on GDP versus debt? Uh, let's see, I've got to expand on this one. A specific combination of the above. Despite my preps, I'm having a hard time establishing just how much deeper we have yet to go. Thanks. On the dollar, when has the dollar crashed? When you can't buy what you, uh, what you need with what you have. That's when it's crashed for you personally. How about that? And, and what I mean by that is, okay, if you don't have any income at all, then, you, or if you're dirt poor and you've always been dirt poor, then maybe that doesn't really make sense to you. You're like, well, it's always been that way. But I'm saying the day that a person that has a reasonable income, you know, 1.5 to two times minimum wage, uh, with the two family, two, you know, both parents working home, uh, and not can't go out and live high on the hog anymore, but just can't exist. Um, for them, it's over, right? And that doesn't mean it's over for me and you because maybe we have a job making four times or five times whatever minimum wage is, and we could still go. When does it crash for everybody? When the majority of Americans re- go into the first category? That's when the, when the dollar no longer can get the job done. That's when we know that it's crashed. And I, I hate to say this, but I, I see that day getting closer and closer. When? I, I don't know. I'm not uh, Nostradamus or uh, Nostradjakis, I think is what, uh, what Ron Hood called me. I mean, basically what I'm saying is when the dollars crash, you'll know it. And I do think there'll be some impending signs. And I think there'll be some real kind of deep economic indicators I could go into in a longer show. But I think it you'll really see it around food. You'll really see it around energy. And you'll see it around prices as a whole. And you'll start to see runaway inflation. If you see silver double again, um, that's that's a bad thing for everybody except those who bought silver. Now, here's the thing, man. I'm not even so sure how big a deal it is if you did buy silver. It's kind of like having some money that didn't get devalued. Um, but here's what I think we're, we're in danger of long term. The death of the dollar won't just be the death of the dollar. It'll be death of the current economic system. What you'll see is an economic collapse like the five that have already occurred in the last hundred years. I don't know if you know that or not, but in the last roughly 97 years, there's been five currency collapses in America. Uh, the first one was in 1913 with the institution of the Federal Reserve. We had Bretton Woods, Bretton Woods II, uh, things like that. Those are actually currency collapses. The problem is every time the currency's collapsed and been reestablished as a new form, you know, gold-backed, partially gold-backed, debt-backed, and, and that type of thing, the stakes at the underlying uh, currency have, have gone up. So when we went to this full 100% backed-by-debt system, uh, really, and, and this is really kind of hard to pin a date on. People say it's 71, people say it's 75, people, some people say it's 76. It's, 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 it's hard to really pin that down. And this is deeper than I should go in a lightning round, but when we unpegged the dollar from gold, it didn't have that great of an effect until Americans were allowed to own gold again. So even though we're looking at 71, it was really 75-ish with Nixon, and then you know we had the whole Nixon disaster, and it was like really as uh, Ford came in, the gold became legal to own again, and that's when the actual decoupling happened, because when people were using dollars to buy gold, we saw the decoupling that had already occurred a few years earlier. But each time what was done is the new currency was used to pay off the debts of the old currency with a great big little inflation lump in the middle of it. 
But today we owe so much money and we're going so much deeper in debt, we have to ask if our creditors will allow us to play that game one more time. And my fear is, um, I don't even know if it's my fear is they won't. They shouldn't, uh, but the consequences are going to be dire. And if they do let us do it again, then we're only deferring the pain for maybe 10 years. And it'll be worse. This is like a cancer, and eventually the patient's going to have to go through chemo, and the patient's going to get really, really sick. And that's the best way I can describe it. Uh, Shannon says, I'd like to hear your thought on the left's economic terrorism video. Some people will see that as political. I know, but I think civil unrest, particularly when targeted at our financial institutions, is a worthy survival topic. I also see it as transcending a left-right paradigm. We will see more, will we see more of this thing? Yes, we will, and I'll tell you why. Let me make it as quick and simple as I can with this complex of a topic. Um, when two fighters are fighting in the ring and one has the other one weakened, uh, that's when you strike your hardest and try to go for the knockout blow. Uh, the war you're seeing now is between socialism and capitalism, and that's as, that's as cut and dry as I can make it. If somebody wants to see that as political, fine, but it's not political, it's fact. There's a war on in the world between a belief of collective ownership and rights to private property. How about that making a little bit more clear for you? The true socialist believes there is no such thing as individual property. That everything that you possess is only something you possess for a time and that you are possessing it at the expense of society. So you have an obligation. Everything that you add to your acclamation, everything you add to your own, like no matter how hard you work for it, when you add it to your quote ownership, you add greater responsibility back to society. And the, 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 the person that believes in individual property believes that whatever you acquire is yours to do with as you please as long as you don't damage the property or life of others. And those are two very, very different things. And the one that sounds like the nice one, that sounds like a kindergarten classroom, is destructive. Because there's no incentive for me to really take care of something that I don't really own. And there's no incentive for me to work hard and innovate. So what's happened right now is that capitalism is has been weakened. And people will say, well, it's not really capitalism that's been weakened, Jack. They've got all these social programs. They're ruining the country with the social programs. Socialism has been weakened, but that's not how it works. When one boxer weakens another boxer, it's the, the one boxer that got in the most body blows and jabs and shots. And the socialists have done that for 50 years now. Very, very effectively. It goes back before that, obviously. But for the last 50 years, they have really piled on the crap. And that is so weak in the capitalist system because it's not even a capitalist system anymore. So now you have a dying socialist system. So what do all the socialists do? They point to it, call it capitalism, and call it a failure. And then they start agitating their groups. And if, I mean, the guy that really is doing the best work on this and analyzing it's Glenn Beck. I don't agree with everything Beck says. Hell, but I guess most of you don't agree with everything I say. I hope you don't. Um, but that's something definitely to look into deeper. But you will see more. You'll see more riots being instigated, more protests being instigated. The freaking school system here, they're cutting teachers so that students are going to protest. The students don't care that their, their teachers are being cut. That's not what this is about. This is about getting out of class. They interviewed one young man yesterday. He thought it was about Rick Perry. 
had nothing to do with Rick Perry. The local district is the one that's cutting because there's just only so much money in the local Dallas school district. Well, some of these school districts have allowed these kids not only said basically, uh, here's a free pass to protest, uh, but you can have four hours to do it, and this is where you're going to walk to and go ahead and do it, and we're encouraging them to be active and send a bus to pick them up. And then they want to punish the kids that didn't get on the bus to come back to school. The people in the school system that made that decision are idiots, and they should be fired immediately, and maybe that would cut some more out of the budget. But if you see that going on at a high school level, at the union levels, um, at the, what I call the professional protester level, and there are a group of people out there, that's what they do for a living, they protest. They're literally paid to protest. And these large, well-funded groups basically just go send up, you know, say, show up here, they give them a bus, and they bring them in. And, and they, they protest whatever the topic de jour is. These types of things will be continuously used to agitate the situation. And it's something we really need to keep an eye on because you don't know what's coming next. Um, I'm going to skip Shannon's next one because it's kind of the same thing. And I want to get more people in. Sebastian says, what about thoughts on moving out of the city to get to more rural areas? I'm about to do it and I constantly weighing the pros and cons. It's a hard decision to make. Um, I can tell you the only regrets I have so far is that it's taken so dad got along and I have so much crap here. And I'm going to advise anybody making a move, rent a dumpster on the first day you start getting rid of stuff and start throwing crap in there. If you can't donate it and you don't want to sell it uh, and, and you don't think you're going to need it at your new place, you're not going to need it at your new place. Get rid of it. Uh, as far as the pros and cons, I can't think of a single con by getting out of the city other than job opportunities. That is the only one. Every other thing where people are like, but the kids won't have friends. You know what? We live as far out in the sticks as I can get my wife to go. And my, my son's grown now, but there's kids all over the place out there. And those kids are all together all the t time. And, uh, you know, when they say they'll be bored, they won't have things to do. Uh, the, the one young man that I, I know out there very well because he's part of a family that we're close to already and he's come down and done some helping work for us with unloading stuff and all. You know, he, he plays, uh, he plays, uh, uh, ball, uh, baseball. He's also into Taekwondo. I mean, there's, there's little towns all over rural America where this type of thing goes on. And those are business opportunities as well. But most of the time what these kids spend time doing is kind of bumming around the mountain together. They go hiking. They go fishing. Uh, most of them are, you know, learning archery and they have their own bows and they go shooting. And I, I, I don't know. I, I find that better than hanging out on a street corner somewhere. So far as the kids go, I think advantage rural environment. Uh, you know, having activities and people to hang out with. I know my neighbors in Arkansas so much better than I do here. I've never actually lived there yet. Every time we go up, are you here for good? Are you here for good? They come down, you know. We showed up. We had a trailer. Um, we actually got it all unloaded. But they showed up in force. They were like, yeah, we came to help you unload your stuff. Um, I, I find people more friendly once they know who you are. There is an initial distrust Some areas are more prone to it than others. The Appalachian region around like um, Tennessee, West Virginia, and some of those areas in Kentucky and what have you, uh, they're particularly known for not trusting outsiders. I, One of our moderators on the forum lives in the area. His family moved there in the 80s. And he says they still feel like they're outsiders. So I guess there's some places like that, but it's not any place I've ever lived. Uh, we lived in kind of a rural area in Pennsylvania growing up. Now, that's different because we lived there our whole lives, so obviously we had deep roots. But when I worked for uh, Fluke Networks and we moved up, we moved north of a little town called Northampton. We were not out in the sticks, but it was very rural, very farm-like. 
And we knew more people in that neighborhood than we know in this neighborhood. And I've tried to reach out and create community in, in the urban environment. So I just find that when people are not in the rat race every day, they tend to be easier to bridge across to because the guy next door to you in the city is just as tired and sick and angry as you are. So I, I just see all the advantages going uh, the uh, the other way. Uh, next one says, Chris says, let's be topical and check your reasoning for hiring painters versus doing it yourself. Uh, and then other self-sufficient handiwork one should do themselves and the point at which profession should be brought in. Uh, it needs to be done now, needs to be done quick, needs to be done right, needs to be done efficiently, and I need to be free to do things like my show uh, and get everything moved up there. So that's when you bring a pro in. I also look at it this way. Uh, in this market right now, people are hungry for work. Uh, I got the entire job done, including an outside shed, for about $1,600 bucks. It would cost me about $600 in paint, another couple hundred dollars in supplies. I'm only paying about half the rate for the labor. Uh, so that $800 bucks can either be me spending days to do something that the pros can come in here in a pretty complex, and this I got like high ceilings and stuff like that. Uh, just my entryway alone is about 22 feet high. Uh, I felt so tough to take the risk of getting injured during this. Doing It just didn't make any sense. Uh, when it came to something like the deck, well, I went and got it. We need a pressure washer for up there anyway, so I went out and we got a pressure washer. I pressure washed the deck. I did the deck staining myself. Why? Because I can knock that out in half a Saturday. So it, it made sense to do that, and we also got something out of it we'd want to take with us. So it comes down to time, efficiency, and quality. Um, if I'm living in the house and I just want my wall a different color and there's a few imperfections here and there, I can live with that. When I put the house on the market and somebody comes into it, especially an empty home, not a staged home, which is what we're going to have, then the only thing they have to do is look for flaws. So what I want to do is minimize the flaws, minimize as many things as possible, and get a very clean, quick look to the house so that when somebody comes in to buy it, they either want it or they don't, based on the home itself and what it is, versus, oh, I don't like the quality of this or I don't like the quality of that. I want to take that off the table. And it just makes the whole thing go quicker. Um, Clay says, I'd like to hear something on prepping your vehicle for everyday situations. I've done a little myself with my bug-out bag tools and extra water, but is there anything else I could be missing? I have an entire episode called Equipping the Bug-Out Vehicle that you'll probably want to listen to. I think the big thing is to make sure that you have the basic things in your vehicle that you'll need to, uh, to try to get yourself back on the road if at all possible. Um, I, I think that one of the biggest things you can do are get a product like the Power Dome EX. Um, there's a lot of things that if they go wrong with a vehicle, even if you're a mechanic, which I am, and even if you have tools, which I do, you still can't fix if you don't have parts, which no one is driving around a car with, with backup parts for everything. Now, here's something I do have for all my vehicles. I have a set of hoses and belts. At least the easily, not timing belts, because you know, it's ridiculous to think you're going to do a timing belt job on the side of the road. Um, but the basic belts and basic hoses, that's an easy thing to carry. And what I ended up doing was, uh, at, it was about 60,000 miles for each vehicle. All of them were still in decent shape. I went out and got brand new ones and replaced them and then put all of the, 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 the lightly used ones, let's say, into storage inside the vehicle. So if we blow a hose or something like that, I have a spare. However, the one that's on the car is brand new. So those are some things you can do there. Other than that, listening to the episode on the bug out vehicle. Dave says, food is always cool. Gardening too. Um, yeah, we talk about that a lot. Some people think too much. 
Uh, but I do think it's really a good idea to make sure that you're really getting serious about your food preps now. And even though some of you guys say other than gardening, um, I think it's important for you to come up with a producer-level style of food. I don't care if it's fishing and hunting and, and doing some of your own canning. I don't care if it's about learning wild foraging. I don't care if it's a dead guard. I don't care what it is, but you better find some method of bringing additional food into your household other than the store, and you better do it now before everybody's on top of you trying to do it at the same time. Um, we are going into a point where we're going to see food shortages. No, that doesn't mean people starving. What it means is people doing without and doing with less. And as fat as some of the people in this country are, maybe there's some places where that would be a good thing. But for a lot of the folks out there that are just getting by, it's going to be the it's going to be a big difference. The ones that get to the end of the month and never have any money left over, they never can save for their retirement, the people that are living week to week right now are going to get the hurt hurt the worst. And the ones that do okay. Right? You know, maybe they save a hundred to two hundred dollars a month, but that's no matter how hard they try, it's all they can do. That money's gonna drop, they're gonna be, they're gonna move. Basically what you're gonna see is unless people have some levels of resiliency and redundancy in their lives over the next five to ten years, everybody's moving down a class. So if you're middle class, that means you're going to lower middle class unless you do things in your life to, to solidify your position. Right? You're upper middle class, you're going to middle class. You're lower middle class, you're going to poor. That's what's coming right now. My favorite useless idiot, Susie Orman's book, The New American Dream, basically she's trying to put a positive spin on that. But instead of telling you what to do about it, she's telling you to accept it, work harder, work longer, and defer your retirement. Where I'm telling you, see it coming, do something about it, and create. So food is a huge component of that. If you journal your expenses for a month, you'll be surprised at how much you spend on food. And what I want you to understand is even if you've cut that to the bone and done everything you can as far as buying inexpensive food, buying in bulk, all those other things that, you know, coupons and what have you, um, no matter what you've done, that number is going to go up in the next five to ten years. And I don't mean that's going to go up next year, but I mean it's really going to go up. That goes back to the currency class we talked about earlier. Um, next one, let's see. I'd like to hear about different recipes, ideas for cooking, and incorporating grains from Sarah. Uh, we'll bring Keith on for that. Phil says, how about effective uses for, of IT for the prepper? How to turn to the internet for additional waste, how to, from an, how to turn the internet from a waste of time to an effective resource? I think that, you know, one thing that we really don't understand how, how valuable it is to us are things like Facebook and Twitter. And being able to be in communication with multiple groups with high interaction at all times. There's a great level of community that can be done with that. Forums like our own as well. I also think that, you know, maybe it's time for people to accept the fact that some technology isn't going away. And if it does, it sucks. But until it does, let's go ahead and use it. So things like GPS. Uh, one of the things that uh, we brought into the store recently are the geocache coins. I think geocaching is a great way to get exercise, to get outdoors, to learn land navigation. Now, does that mean if you do geocaching, you're to be, you know, a master with a map and a compass? No. But it does mean you're going to have a really good understanding of your surroundings if you do a lot of local geocaching. And you're going to find a lot of resources while you're out there. So that brings technology and primitive together uh, if you allow it to happen. The big thing the Internet is is an information highway. right? We've heard that term before. But the thing is that we can now tune that information to whatever we want to listen to. There are websites where you can listen to police scanners anywhere, uh, basically in America. There's, you know, iPhone and other smartphone applications that do the same thing. Uh, being able to listen to the police activity around you is, is hugely important. And the, uh, the safety, you know, Department of Public Safety, the, the, the uh, paramedics, the fire departments and things like that, not just during a disaster, but on a day-to-day -day basis, learn the pulse of your community. 
And that, if you're doing that, if you're paying attention, if you occasionally listen to the scanner once in a while, uh, have it on in the background or what have you, when things are kind of getting amped up and the cops are concerned and the paramedics are concerned, you'll know in advance. And if something's going down, being able to tune into that stuff as long as the resource remains available gives you some serious advantages. Um, next one, Hank says, drought. I'm in Oklahoma. It's been drier for the past four months than any four months since 1921. Before the Dust Bowl, I'd like to hear about gardening with limited water. Hugel culture is the big one uh, that we've learned recently, which is basically burying wood or piling wood up and putting dirt on top of it and burying it that way. Um, by the second year, as that wood starts to rot, it turns into a giant sponge. Um, so that would be a big one. Uh, swales. Uh, swaling is, 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 is so important, uh, especially in, in a very dry environment like you're dealing with there. Check out greening the desert. If they can grow food with limited irrigation near the Dead Sea in Israel, you can certainly do it in the Oklahoma breadbasket. I mean, honestly, it's possible. Uh, drip irrigation is probably something to look at, uh, but definitely swaling. And I think a lot of people look at a swaling and go, well, that's for a lot, place with a lot of slope. There's almost nowhere in the world where land is completely dead flat. If you put a level on it, the bubble's going somewhere. So you find your contour lines, you put your swales in, and a small amount of rain then does massive amount of hydrating the soil. If you look at the old Bill Mollison series, Global Gardener, which is available for free download on Google Video, you'll look at one on, uh, I think it's the urban one, and you'll see him standing in a swale, that was built by the Civilian Conservation Corps under Franklin Roosevelt before World War II, uh, out in the desert southwest. And I mean, this is the desert, saguaro cactus-style desert. And uh, they had they were growing cotton out there using irrigation. But the problem was that whenever it did rain, it basically washed the fields out and washed everything out on the highway. So without an environmental concern, just to stop this erosion, they put miles and miles of dead-level swales in. And then the war effort ended, and they walked away. Well, today... These things look like green. If you were to look at them from above, they look like green snakes running through the desert. So they've basically created an oasis just with a swale. So that's something to look out there. Uh, Travis says, how about adding your current woes, the painters, uh, into the show topic? I think we've done enough on that. Save our skills, which, of course, is Nick Ledoux says, I want to know about effective meal planning to avoid eating out and start using some more storables up. I'm sure I'm not the only one that struggles with this great topic. That's probably a good one for Keith to address. I think the big thing is to get creative and don't just eat the same stuff. Go ahead and start pulling stuff out and cooking with it and doing what you can with it. How about this, Nick? How about once a month you have prep night? And I don't mean prep night like getting ready. I mean you have prep night where you're like, you know what? Today, we're going to live like we have to live on our preps. That's just what we're going to do. And, uh, and, and just make yourself use something from the storables. And if you force yourself to do it, you'll force yourself into creativity. How about building your own electric vehicle by converting a small gas car? I don't know anything about that. Going to have to find somebody for uh, an interview on something like that. That's from Jared. John says, pros and cons of solar ovens. Pros, they're awesome. They cost nothing to run. They cook really awesome slow-cooked foods. Uh, cons, they're not generally good for things like frying and sautéing. I guess you can do that with like parabolic lens versions and stuff like that. But the typical oven doesn't work well for that. And if the, su the, the, uh, the clouds come out, you can't cook. So there's your pros and cons there. But great thing that I think everybody should have. Um, uh, uh, have around. Uh, then right after that, Save Our Skills is back at Jarrett. Uh, there's a link there 
uh, for electric, how to build two electric cheap cars. So didn't know Nick had that. So uh, I'll provide that link in today's show notes on the electric cars. Michael Caldwell, I'm with Clay B on the vehicle mods and prepping. Uh, Wingnut says hammock camping. Uh, I mean, how's at it? I'm trying to rush here because I think I just saw the painter's van pull up outside now and I'm trying to get as many of these in as possible. These guys keep showing up earlier every day. Uh, Christopher says all about water, purification, filtering, storage. Uh, dig deep into it. Uh, I think we could do that. Uh, just remember, I can't prep for any shows this week because the noise and the distractions and things like that. Uh, Alejandro says uh, garden pests like squirrels and gophers and moles. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do there. Squirrels don't really like movement. So you know those little twisty, twirly, cutesy uh, things that people hang in trees for ornaments? If you ha- put some of those around your garden, those tend to be pretty decent squirrel deterrents. Uh, my number one squirrel deterrent is a dog. If you have a, a good dog in your yard and, and kind of, especially if you kind of get them keyed in on the squirrel, like say like the squirrel, there he is, and let him see him and things like that. Uh, if I have the squirrels causing too much garden damage, I just put Max out and just leave him out during the day and he keeps them away. Gophers need to be killed. If you have gopher problems, there is no way to coexist with gophers. Uh, they must die. Uh, it doesn't mean they all must die, but the ones causing the problems and the best thing are the plunger traps. We could go deeper into that topic on another day. Moles, somewhat the same, but less harmful generally to your garden than golfers. Fitness and self-defense training from Michael. Fitness, my big thing on fitness is functional fitness. Get out and walk. Walk and find a place where there are hills. Get off the pavement. Walk on gravel. Walk on dirt. Walk in fields. Uh, the human body was made to walk. The, the people that are bouncing around on treadmills and and, 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 and and stair climbers and crap, that's for a gerbil. The human being is not designed to be a gerbil. Long distance running is fine if it's your thing, but I think overall, long term, if it's done to excess, it's damaging to the body. The human being is a walker and a sprinter, not a marathon runner. The body's not made for it. That doesn't mean your body can't adapt to it. That doesn't mean you can't get into great shape doing it. But if you really look at the human body and what it's designed to do, it's designed to walk. The arms are designed for pulling and pushing. So things like pull-ups and dips to me are far more valuable than lifting weights laying on a bench. Again, if that's your thing, I'm not putting it down. But overall fitness and being in good health, uh, if you mimic natural actions and natural activities, and I don't even like you know the narrow dip bars like they have in weight rooms and, and pull-up bars. Like when I was a kid, my dad and I set some stuff up. We built dip bars and we built them out of trees that were probably about two and a half, three inch diameter trees. Where when you went to do the dips, your hands were not, there's no way you would get your fingers to touch each other. Uh, you'd have your hands kind of like you'd make a C in front of yourself, like that, like that big of a branch. And then a little bit smaller so you could get a little bit better of a grip for the pull-up bars. Because that's what human beings evolved doing, was pulling themselves through trees, pushing themselves. I'm also big on heavy bags. I think working out on a heavy bag is a great thing. It fully conditions the body. There's impacts. Uh, I'm not like a do-it-all-day type of thing, but a little bit here and there. Fighting, running, pulling, lifting, jumping. Those are the things in, 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 in a long duration, uh, broken up instead of any one of them to repetitious, uh, you know, monotony. Those are the things. But the biggest thing is walking. I think that walking is emotionally and spiritually and physically, uh, cleansing to the body. And I think that it does so many good things for us. And get out and get in the sun. The sun is not your enemy. Uh, if you're in a place where you're going to burn, obviously you cover up so you don't burn to excess. But get some sun on your skin every day. Get that vitamin D produced. Uh, self-defense training, lethal and non-lethal 
take classes is the best advice I can give on a short-run show like this. Maybe we'll talk about it more in the future. Charlie says, I asked my wife, and she said, how to survive stupid people. I'd like to hear that applaud now. Uh, I'd like to hear you apply that now and in the shit at the fan. That sounds like a great topic for a show, surviving stupidity. Uh, but that'll be one I'll have to put some thought into. Uh, Joe says, hygiene, non-perishable item storage, and what to use as an alternative. So I guess you're talking about like alternatives for you know if you're out of razors for shaving and uh, soaps and cleaning and, and maybe feminine hygiene and other things like that. Something I'll have to put some thought into. Maybe something that maybe I bring a guest on to talk about. Uh, Ryan says, please take it in stride. But what survivalist hires a painter to address your question? I'd love to hear about preparing for harvesting springs weather. You know, tornadoes, floods, and and other things. Uh, Ryan, I'll tell you what kind of survivalist hires a painter. A smart one. A businessman who understands that his efforts are better spent somewhere else. So, you know what, Ryan? Kiss my ass. I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> no, actually, as far as surviving spring weather, uh, that's actually a great topic for a show, Ryan. You take it in stride there. But next one, Charles Sandville, because painting sucks. Thanks for answering my question there, Charles. Uh, it's also something I'm not good at. So what you're smart when you do in the business world is when resources are available, you utilize them and you hire to your strengths and you perform. You hire to your weaknesses and you and you do your strengths. All right. Uh, next one, Brett, do a show on soap, laundry soap manufacturing at home. Hygiene is too important in a crunch scenario. Again, I think there's a lot of you guys out there that make soap. I think I could find a great interview to do on that. I'm not a soap maker. It's a skill I'd like to add. Uh, I'd like to hear you drive around and yell at ass clowns. I missed that. Mike, I plan on doing that this week. Uh, today, I'm going to go get some furniture for the office that I'm going to take up on my next trip. And I was, and I'm gonna have to drive up to Frisco, which is right. I mean, I'm on the other side of the the, uh, the tollway from where I work is where the store I need to go to. It's an IKEA store, um, and uh, it was gonna be the same path. And I thought it'd be great. I'd do one on the way up and one on the way back. And I took a bunch of my electronic equipment up to the office last trip, and I left my little hand recorder, so I don't have that, so I can't do it. I'll try to make that happen as part of this move, though, at some point, maybe on my way back down. We haven't had a fishing-related show in a while, says Donald. Opening day in my area is just around the corner. Uh, you're right. We should talk more about fishing in the future. We'll try to do that. What I want to say to people from the modern survival mentality is uh, when it comes to fishing, think about things other than bass and trout. Now, if you live in an area and you're saying opening day, I'm just making me think trout because um, they do stocking and all. I mean, take advantage of the things while they're available. But the big things for stocking up that freezer or stocking up that smoker, catfish, crappie, sand bass, um, all of your panfish, some of the fish that are actually really good eating that, that kind of get left by that people don't think about eating are drum. Drum is a great fish. Um, I think they drum get kind of lumped in with carp, and some carp are actually pretty good eating. A lot of them I, I'm not fond of, but like these big head or silver carp or whatever they ever uh, they are in the Mississippi are actually a delicacy over in China. Uh, it all depends on how they're cooked and how they're prepared. But to me, if you can find a place where you can do well on catfish, bluegill, crappie, and sand bass, they're all fish that don't require a lot of expense. Uh, you can, they have large limits. They're available throughout most of the season, and you can put a good quantity away. I do try to keep my fish, wild caught or farmed or anything, down to one meal a week, uh, due to things like PCBs, mercury accumulation, and other things like that. I don't think there's a safe source of fish anywhere in the world anymore, uh, and I would definitely say on this topic, stay away from fish out of the Sea of Japan for a while till we learn more about that. 
Uh, Eric says, Deer and Rabbit, anti-critter fencing. I want to put in a more permanent fence uh, than what I've been using, lightweight nylon mesh. What thoughts do you have this on the subject? The big thing with deer, Eric, is height. You've got to get height with deer. Uh, a five-foot fence to most deer is a freaking joke. Uh, they'll go right over it. Does will tend not to while their fawns are young and they have their fawns with them, uh, but so- solitary does that are at least a year old and uh, bucks, five-foot fence, they'll go right over it. Six-foot, you'll stop them. Um, what you really want is even if you're going to go with five feet, you want the fence to come up maybe four and then go out a foot on an angle pointed outward. That's about the only foolproof deer fencing there is, is getting height and at least getting some kind of angle outward. Um, anything like barbed wire or whatever, you put you can put a nine-line nine barbed wire fence and they'll slide between two of those things and you're like, how did that thing fit through there? Uh, it's, it's unbelievable what they'll do. So height for the deer... But it doesn't have to be uh, really a strong barrier. If you have a four-foot fence and you put up another two feet on top of it, it's just string, the visual thing will usually keep them out. Rabbits, you need to go under the ground a little bit because they'll dig their way in. I've never had that much problem with rabbits, though. Rabbits, to me, have been, and maybe it's just the places I've lived, Texas, Pennsylvania, Florida, uh, have been easier to control. Deer, when a deer gets in a garden, one deer in an hour can devastate the entire thing. Uh, a lot of, of uh, farmers and gardeners and market gardeners are starting to call them giant brown rats. Um, the foolproof method of deer control, if you can do it, based on time and law and season or just your own... Um, uh, slyness is deer, uh, deer meat becomes, uh, the, the answer. I'll leave it at that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so if you eliminate the deer and turn him into things like biltong and chops and backstraps, uh, he's no longer in your garden. And maybe if he ate some heads of lettuce, but you eat him, you kind of feel like the, uh, the tables have turned and have been, uh, let's say leveled at that point. Jason says, email or call and show. When in doubt, keep it simple. Uh, kind of sort of what we're doing, Jason. Clancy says, I've been looking at shelter building in a survival situation. You are displaced from your primary residence in a bu- and bug out location, looking to Native Americans for inspiration. The TP's nice portable structure. Uh, and it goes on from there. I'll leave it at that. Um, I think the modern day TP is the RV. Uh, the RV, uh, except you need fuel to be able to tow the RV or drive the RV. But the RV is, um, it definitely has its place. And in all but that apocalypse, uh, it's probably a lot better option than just about anything else out there, at least for kind of the short term. Let's see how we're doing on time here. We're up to about 52 minutes, and I do see the guys pulling outside, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up today. I hope this has been an interesting show, kind of fast-moving subjects, you know, one to the next to the next. Um, I, I, I'm going to do what I can to get you guys to show out tomorrow and try to do call-in show Friday like we normally do. Uh, it is difficult in the current situation. I appreciate you guys uh, kind of hanging with me on this, but here's what I want to say. The big thing is, even though my show is being interrupted, Everything we're doing right now is to solidify our position in life so that, as, as I said earlier, we don't come down a class of living. I don't care what society classifies me. I don't even really care what my income level is relative to somebody else's. What I care about in my life right now is being able to wake up and live my life on my terms. And when you move yourself down a class or further, it's really hard to do that. Then life becomes survival. 
right? Instead of survival being something you do during a disaster, survival being something you do during an event, survival being something you do to get by, survival becomes how you live. And the whole point of survival planning is so that, yeah, if we get there by some freak event or some complete catastrophe, we can get through it. But the real purpose is so that the little events, the inconveniences, don't take us down into that for a long period of time, be it a week, a month, a year, or longer. For some people, it, you know, their life just is permanently altered forever, and they never really recover. So my message to you is to keep working on building that better life for yourself and solidifying your position in life. I was giving advice to somebody recently on search engine optimization, of all things. Our good friend Paul Wheaton and some, some terms that he wants to rank well for on Google. And I said I would be solidifying this one particular position. He said, but I'm already number one. That's my point. You're already number one for that one. You have that. That's an asset. Protect what you have. Worry more about protecting the things that you already have that give you quality of life than what else you can acquire. And maximize the bang out of those things that you already have. That's the situ that's the solution for long-term happiness, folks. The big thing is, like I said, being able to wake up in the morning and saying, today I'm living my life on my own terms. And that's what I don't want you guys to back off of one bit, even during some of my absences here. I want you working every day. I want you saying to yourself every day, what's one more thing I can do today to increase my personal, individual liberty? We are going to have ass clowns basically creating economic terrorism on the United States from within. The enemy is us. We're going to have ass clowns telling us we finally cut $38 billion out of the budget like the Democrats and Republicans. Just, just, we compromised, but look, we did $38 billion. You know, a big chunk of that money is money that they had set aside for the census they didn't need. That's not a cut. That's the government accidentally coming in under budget on something. And a lot of the other stuff is hocus-pocus nonsense that's not even real that these guys say they cut. So that's going to happen. The dollar is being destroyed. Quantitative easing is not a good idea. I talked earlier this week about weakening the dollar and what that really means. You put $100 in your shoe box and keep it until next year, and effectively they come and steal $5 out of it. You still have $100, but it buys what 95 did. There's no difference. If there was no inflation and I came in and took a $5 bill out of your box... You'd be in the same exact situation that you are under 5% inflation. And they do it at will, and they do it anytime they want. And the $5 isn't gone, they took it away. It's a hidden tax. These things are going to happen. Okay? Resources are being depleted. Droughts are occurring. You heard, we heard from a listener about that today. Um, life is not going to get easier unless you change the way you live to make your life easier. And that's what I want for people. And I don't care how you do it other than I want you to do it your way on your terms in the way that gives you the greatest happiness. For you, it may not be, despite everything I said today about a rural environment, moving out into the sticks. It might be finding a way to really make a go of it in an urban setting. If that's it, so be it. But do it smart. Think with your head, not your heart when it comes to your money and your resources and your life. Build your dreams with your heart and build the infrastructure with your mind. Where what we have in America today is people letting their mind control their dreams and paying for infrastructure with their heart, and that ends up being the bank and MasterCard. Don't do it. 
build a stronger version of what you have today and keep working on that a little bit every day. If you keep doing that, you're going to build yourself into a point where you have resiliency. And even if the world seems to come apart around you, you'll be able to hold on to what you have and you'll be able to continue to grow. And here's what's important, parents. You'll be able to leave something behind. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Show.